Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi, I'm Rachel Mauza, and I'm the integrator over at Copy Chief, which means I basically steer the ship over there and help my visionaries' ideas come to life. That's awesome. Can you, for those who might not be super familiar with Copy Chief, can you say a little bit more about what you guys do? Sure. Yeah, we're basically a vocational school for creative freelancers. So we've got a training dashboard, a really robust community. We have uh, uh, high-level coaching programs where we personally help you get really confident in your creative marketing skills and build your freelance business. And then also we've got a mastermind where we work one-on-one with freelancers who want to take their business to the next level. Absolutely. And I know it seems like it's from chatting with you um, in person. I know it seems like it's going really, really well. And you guys have experienced some like really rapid growth growing from a pretty small team to now, I believe you said like almost 30 um, people on the team. Can you maybe walk through a little bit more about how you've been able to grow so quickly? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, uh, my business partner, Kevin Rogers, has built a very robust and successful business long before I got there. And he was actually my business coach for many years before we decided to partner together on on growing his business. And um, one thing that we've gone through in the last three years is is we've, first of all, given the the tech an overhaul, which has made made it a lot easier for us to bring in more members and provide better value to those members and get our content out there. But also internally, we've grown from three to four people, basically four scrappy uh, entrepreneurs wearing all the hats to now, um, I think we're up to like 26 or 27 people on the team, all in very specific, dedicated seats with very specific roles, completely owning their role and responsibilities, but all going in the same direction. And so that's been a huge shift for us and really exciting. Yeah, that sounds extremely exciting. Can you maybe walk through a little bit about what that transition process was like going from just four generalists willing to just put their, get their hands dirty and do whatever needs to be done to now having a team that, you know, is, you know, 26 people. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I, I think we talked about it a little bit that we are uh, implementing the system called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And we've been running that for about a year now. So we, we kind of dove in head first without any sort of system for doing this at, at first. And then we discovered EOS and it's really accelerated the, the speed and the, and the, the um, simplicity in which we're able to grow and scale the team and the business. So that's been a game changer, but that gave us a really cool tool to use. Uh, it's called an accountability chart. And it's basically, basically looks like an organizational chart, but instead of like a hierarchy of uh, who's your boss or uh, uh, titles and names like CEO, CTO, stuff like that, it's focused around two things, success metrics and responsibilities. So it's who's accountable for this success metric, who's accountable for this responsibility. And it focuses on defining each seat in your accountability in a very specific way. So there's no ambiguity around who's in charge of what or who's accountable for what, Uh, but it also frees up everyone in their seats because it allows us to say, okay, these are the numbers, these are the things that we want you to obsess over and you can forget about everything else. And so it truly gives people freedom to focus on what they're good at and what they were hired for and not worry about scope creep into their role or worrying about things that someone else should be handling. 
So that's been a huge tool, but also helped us define exactly who we need to hire since it was very clear what responsibilities and uh, uh, results and outcomes we wanted to achieve rather than who's just going to do this work. That's such a smart approach. And I have so many follow-up questions to what you were just talking about there. I love the idea of like really hiring based off of accountability as opposed to like a traditional org chart. Can you maybe walk through a little bit more of your process of how you really go about and thinking about what do you actually need at this time and how to actually build out that accountability chart? Yeah, so it was very scientific. We would just have like three or four people do it. And when they started uh, becoming extremely overwhelmed, we'd be like, oh, maybe there should be another person. No, just kidding. So it, we, we, we did, we, it was just a couple of us. And basically we started breaking down our individual roles and said, okay, what do I hate doing? What am I not good at? Okay, where does that fit? And we tried to, to assign that to a more specific seat, right? So one of the hardest things is to figure out what you actually do every day <laughs> or how what you actually do in your job, especially if you're a founder or a visionary or someone who's kind of uh, a one-man band. But once you can start segmenting and compartmentalizing the different types of tasks you can do, it becomes really easy to uh, outline exactly what those specific tasks or things are, and then you can batch them together. To, into similar tasks and hire someone with that specific skill set. And the cool thing is, once you hire someone with a very specific skill set, it's like way faster and easier for them to do it than it ever was for you to do it and like be task switching all the time or stumble through things that's not your forte. And so it actually becomes easy for them to take on more and uh, help them help them contribute to the growth of the business more because not spending all this wobble time that that you would be if you were trying to do something that wasn't wasn't your strength. Absolutely. So you're basically, if I understand it right, you're basically allowing people to kind of operate from their zone of genius. Yeah, exactly. And that's the biggest thing about the accountability is every single person gets to operate from their zone of genius. And also every single person uh, has support for their role, for the things that they they aren't great at. That makes so much sense. Can you maybe provide an example um, of one of the roles that you hired for recently or recently-ish that ended up being like a complete game changer? Definitely. So we have um, a publishing role, which this amazing woman, Chantal, filled, and she was just such a freaking rock star and unicorn. She did such a good job. Um, And she basically took all of the copy that we wrote at Copy Chief that Kevin and I wrote, and she would make it go. She would build out a sales page and do the design and do the publishing. And she would set up the email automations and she would set up um, new products and everything like that. And she did a great job, but man, it was so stressful for her because she, she'll be the first to tell you that the, the automations, the tech stuff, like the deep tech stuff is not her strength. And she was just amazing at Googling things and figuring out how to do it. But it took her so much longer than it would if someone was just an Infusionsoft expert or active campaign expert. So we actually took and split that role into two different roles, the tech side and the content publishing side. And as a result, we had someone come in and just completely streamline and optimize the, the automation and tech side of things, which made us allowed us to reach more people better, faster, more effectively, measure things better. 
But also the design and publishing got a lot better because it freed up our publisher to focus on just the content and proofreading design and make take that to a next level. So not only were we able to make the role more sustainable because we weren't burning people out and stressing people out and overwhelming them, but the quality got so much better and we were actually able to deliver so much more at a higher level because we were able to define the, the two different seats instead of smashing it into one unicorn role. Absolutely. You mentioned something a little bit earlier on in our conversation about having like individual success metrics for each one of these roles in your accountability chart. You maybe walk through a little bit about how you figure out what the success metrics are and is it kind of a top-down approach? Is it very collaborative between you and the person you hire? Yeah, good question. This is something we're very much still figuring it out, but we've gotten a lot better (laughs) since we started a year ago. Um, And probably the easiest place to start is marketing because marketing is attached to numbers, right? So for example, we've got um, a leadership team, which is four seats across marketing and sales, um, product delivery and operations, customer success, and then HR and finance. So those are our four departments. And we have a leader in each one of those, those seats that leads, manages, and holds accountable the rest of the team in those departments. And so we started with those four leadership seats. So for example, the marketing uh, head head of marketing, he's in charge of ROI, uh, how many new subscribers we're adding to our list, how many sales are coming in for our coaching programs, and uh, traffic and media buying, uh, like CTA and, and AOV and stuff like that. So all those all those metrics that make sure you're not spending your money in the wrong places. And so uh, that was really easy to define and then trickle down to the rest of the team. So he's responsible for holding, being accountable for those big numbers, but he doesn't have to do it all on on his own. He's got a media buyer who's in charge of the media buying success metrics. He's got a copywriter who's in charge of the open rates and and, uh, click-through rates on the emails. He's got a salesperson who's in, who's in charge of booking and closing sales calls. And so even though he owns the, the top level metrics, he's able to trickle that down to the rest of the team. And if someone's not hitting their numbers, he's ultimately accountable, but he's not, it's not, not the whole weight isn't resting on him. And so it's very similar for the other ones. Customer success is a lot about retention and engagement of our members. Uh, product delivery is mostly about things like things getting done on time without mistakes being made. And then HR and finance is like, are people's contracts updated? Are people getting paid on time? Are our are, uh, are, are accounts balanced? Are we, are we on budget with our campaigns? And so we're able to start at the top and then trickle that down so that everyone has a few numbers, a few key numbers that they get to obsess over and then not worry about the rest, knowing that the big picture is handled because it's all laid out on the accountability chart. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And for the people on your team who are like individual contributors, what are some strategies that you're using to make sure that they feel like that they know exactly what, you know, how they, how what they're doing impacts the company? Yeah, so we've got two things. Um, First of all, every single month, we have a team-wide campaign plan meeting. And it's really the only meeting where we're like, literally every person involved with the business has to be on this one meeting. It's only 30 to 45 minutes once a month. Everyone has to be there. That's the only required meeting that everyone has to be in. And what we do is we go through um, the campaign for the next 30 days. So we plan our campaigns at least a month ahead. 
Uh, and we go through through the, the plan, what we're promoting, uh, all the pieces that need to happen and be put into place in order for that to be a success, and then who's responsible for what. And so all that's laid out in a campaign plan, and we all get in like a, like a huddle and make sure that everyone's on the same page and going in the right direction and knows what they're supposed to do. Um, and then on those meetings, what we do is we also share all the wins from the last month so that everyone knows the fruits of their labor that they've been working on individually. And we go back to our shared vision, our yearly goals, our quarterly goals, so that everyone's kind of pointed in the right direction and knows the bigger picture. So that's been really, really helpful and probably the most effective thing for getting everyone on the same page and going in the right direction, even if they're just working in their own little world. Um, and the other thing we do, which is another EOS tool, is we have weekly team meetings that have a very specific agenda where we review our the key metrics from our roles, so those success metrics for our accountability chart, where we're at on a week-to-week basis, as well as our how we're tracking towards our quarterly goals. And in those meetings, we're able to, to discuss issues and solve them around those things. But it's a, a weekly check-in where everyone gets to touch base and ask for help and um, have an accountability check-in. And it just makes sure everyone's on the same page. And then they can kind of get their marketing or get their marching orders, um, have an accountability check-in, and then say, okay, let's break. And everyone just gets to go and do the work how they prefer to work for the rest of the week. You mentioned uh, EOS, and it's come up a few times already um, in our conversation. Can you maybe walk through what EOS is and why you guys decided to implement it? Yeah, we are. I feel like we're still just discovering like how big of a world this EOS world. We actually recently went to a conference. It was like 1600 people or I, I, I know it was a lot more than that. I don't know. It was massive, but I had no idea this was such a mainstream thing. I just thought it was like the system that we kind of discovered but it's getting really big. It's the entrepreneurial operating system. And I am not a affiliate for this. I don't get paid for this, but it's completely revolutionized how we've uh, done business and grown our business. So it's it's very, very simple. It's uh, a series of tools and a philosophy around keeping things extremely simple and uncomplicated and just putting a system in place that allows you to have regular check-ins so that everyone is held accountable, everyone knows exactly what they're supposed to do and uh, knows where to go if they need help. And then the whole point is you get out of people's way. You leave them alone and let them work and stop micromanaging and babysitting people. And that allows the leadership to step out and work at a higher level and focus on higher level things. And it allows everyone working in the business to do deep work, to do focused work and work how they prefer um, and how they work best rather than being micromanaged or trying to forced into a system that doesn't work well for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I can only imagine going from four people to 20 something um, in a very short period of time. I think you mentioned like a year or so means that there's going to be growing pains. What were some of the, you know, lesson, what were some of the like, kind of the growing pains that kind of led to you, A, both to like using this framework and B, to make sure that you, you know, are developing a very cohesive uh, team? Yep. Yeah. Good question. So a lot of the growing pains involved uh, learning as the leadership team to give up control. So it was just me and Kevin making the decisions with the help of um, a few core members that have been there forever. Like our HR, who's currently our HR and finance member, she's been with Kevin from the beginning and she knows where all the skeletons are buried. And so she was really integral in helping us figure out these seats and these roles and these responsibilities and help us avoid mistakes that we made in the past. 
Um, but ultimately it came down to all three of us. So Kevin, uh, Mary, who's now our HR manager and myself learning to give up control and, um, not hold on so tightly because what had happened in the past is we didn't have the right people in the right seats. We didn't have enough people to fill all of the seats we actually needed. And people were scrambling. They were, they were doing their very best to do something that maybe wasn't their strength and they were constantly overwhelmed. And so, uh, a lot learning to let go and hire good people and then trust them to do what you ask them to do by giving them a very specific outcome, a result that you want them to achieve. Instead of saying, look, we do it this way. We need you to do it this way. That was probably the biggest shift for us is focusing on an outcome and result-based team management um, philosophy rather than a process or system-based uh, team management philosophy. So again, it's it's putting people in the right seats, giving them clear things to focus on and then getting out of their way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it, if I understand it right, so instead of like basically like, here's an SOP and a process, mm-hmm. go out and do this, um, which is very much like an order taker, you're actually kind of assigning to the KPI or the goal or the desired outcome and telling, letting them kind of dictate a little bit more about how they get there. Yep. And then we always make sure they have the resources they need. So we have SOPs, we have uh, examples of how we've done things in the past, but I always try to now, now that I've learned, I've evolved a little bit into this, this role. I try to let them lead and then come to me if they need direction or help. Um, because usually a lot of times people know a better way than you've been doing it. And you don't want to dilute that or, or uh, reduce any inspiration or innovation for them doing things a better way. This is going to touch on to another topic. Um, and maybe shift gears a little bit, but what are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of hire and vet people to figure out if they're going to be a good fit within your organization? Yeah. Hiring the people puzzle. We call it the people puzzle. This is the hardest part of everything is finding the right people and and making sure that the right fit for the right seat. Um, So we did a lot of trial and error. We were mostly successful, but there were a couple of people that a couple of roles that we had to try three or four people in before we found the right fit. Um, Very happy to say we now have the right fit in every single seat on our accountability chart, which is really cool, but it wasn't always that way. So one thing that we did is, is really, really overhaul our hiring process. And so I've got a pretty in-depth application process that I have where I outline very clearly the role, scope, the responsibilities, and now those success metrics that we want people to be responsible for in a job description. And then if someone's comfortable with that job description, they can go through a type form application. And that takes them through a series of uh, questions that ask them if they're a good uh, cultural fit, like who are they as a person? Do they meet our core values? Um, through a capabilities fit. So we have a couple of real life scenarios that we ask them uh, to explain how they would handle stuff that they would actually need to solve in the role if they were to hired. And then um, a couple of questions about how they think. So some logic questions. And we also ask them to create a video just introducing themselves because personality is such a big thing when when you're working remotely and, and giving people ownership of things. So we we put them through this process and then we have an interview with them. But usually by the time we get to watching the video that they created, we know right away if they're a good fit or not. It's been, it's been really successful so far. Yeah. That makes a ton of, that makes so much sense. What are some of the things that you're looking for within that kind of initial screening process and then within that video? This was a big shift for us in focusing on what needed to be done and expertise, but 
we do need someone that knows what they're doing. They need the technical skill if they're in a technical role, like, like they're the infusion soft expert or something. But now we mostly focusing focus on hiring based on our core values. So this is another um, uh, EOS tool is really getting you to define your core values as a company. And it's not like, like a sappy mission statement that's going to be like thrown in a manual and never seen again. It truly drives every single decision that's made in the business. So for example, some of our core values are uh, we really uh, value pride of performance. So someone that's going to do every single thing that they do to the best of their ability, whether it's washing dishes or launching a new product. Um, also that we're perpetual students, no egos allowed at copy chief, because we just, it's just not part of the core of who we are as a company. You always got to be humble and ready to learn. Um, so we've got five core values that, that really speak to exactly who we are as a company. And we make sure that we hire based on whether people or not match all five of those core values. And so that's the biggest thing now. And we haven't lost yet when that's been, when that's been the main focus. Because you can teach skills to anyone, but you can't teach culture attitude a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. Attitude is such an important factor. And I feel like it's very easy to overlook. Yeah, I think that um, it's also important to make sure that you know what your core values are not. Like, for example, I, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was someone like Enron or something. But one of their core values was like excellence at all costs. And that is definitely not us. We're like look, you can make mistakes, just own it and fix it. Okay. Like knock yourself out, go, go break shit, but just make sure that it's cleaned up when you're done. And so for example, if someone was just like super rigid perfectionist all the time, they would not do well at copy chief because the rest of the team would drive them crazy. So it's good to know what, what's not a part of your core values and kind of what your, your anti-core values would be too. That's super interesting. What besides, I mean, you kind of hinged on one being like perfectionism. What are some of the other kind of anti-values and how did you kind of realize what those were as a company? Um, so ego is a big one. There's really no room for ego. We all got to be humble and students all the time. Um, I mean, everyone's a little bit of a perfectionist because everyone's a creative. <laughs> on our team. It just comes with the territory, but, but they don't let it stop them. Um, respect. And so if you don't have respect for your team, for other cultures, for other people, if you think you're like better than everyone, like that's just not an option with us. You got to be respectful above all else. Um, even if you have difficult conversations. And so we always talk about being willing to have the difficult conversations and being honest and transparent with each other. We're very, very transparent at copy chief, but you got to do it with respect and respect for the person. So that's a really big one. And then integrity. So we talk a lot about trust at copy chief, and it's something that we've had to learn, not trust as in like, I trust you as a person, but trust that if I hand something off, you're going to get it done. Or if that you tell me you're going to do something, I know that you'll handle it or come back to me if you need help. And so integrity to me means doing what you say you're going to do. And if that's not a part of who you are, if you're not good at following through on what you say you're going to do, that's a big no-no for us too. Absolutely. Um, and I know like your background as a creative and an extremely talented copywriter, um, and now you're this amazing integrator. Well, can you maybe like walk through what that kind of journey was like for you and how you kind of went from being, you know, a creative to now being like really, really invested in, uh, and it sounds like thriving as an integrator. Yeah. So I still write a lot of the copy at copy chief, but I try to hand most of it off because again, I just want to get out of smart people's way. <laughs> so we have copywriters, we have so many marketers on our team and I, I'm trying to hand that off, but I still do write a lot of the copy. 
Um, but I was a full-time freelance copywriter. Uh, my journey was kind of, I, I was a freelancer and then I built a, a successful agency immediately realized I hated running an agency and shut that down to become a full-time freelancer and consultant again. And that's when I met uh, Kevin and hired him as my business coach. And then years after that, we ended up partnering together and he offered for me to come into the business and kind of make uh, copy chief, my full-time boo. <laughs> so I went all in with copy chief and that was a huge shift for me. Um, first of all, I had been a freelancer and digital nomad and very independent and a hustler. That was my identity for nearly a decade. And so for me to say, okay, I'm not going to work with anyone else. That was a huge mindset shift for me. And Kevin coached me through a lot of that. And I'm just very fortunate that my business partner is also just someone who knows me and my business intimately. And we were able to be really transparent in those conversations. Um, but I just had ultimate trust in, in Kevin and Copy Chief was my, my freelancing home. And I've truly believed in the company and in Kevin and the product. And so it was a lot easier for me than probably most people, but I still had to go through that, that mental shift, that evolution of being okay with uh, going all in on one thing. And so that's been a big shift since then. And, and I've gone through this evolution of coming in and being uh, just kind of like the scrappy entrepreneur of like, Ooh, where can I help? I'll do everything to sitting in this integrator role, kind of managing all the pieces and steering the ship and uh, trying not to touch things. <laughs> so let people do their jobs. And that's taken a lot of personal growth for myself. And I'm still working on it every single day. But um, I'm fortunate that Kevin is my partner is, is a really great support system in that. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of the, like, were there any like resources or tools or books that have really helped you level up in, into this integrator role? Yeah, a hundred percent. So Rocket Fuel was a major, major resource. Um, it's written by, uh, well, one of the authors is the guy who now runs EOS. There's been this like weird evolution in the EOS world where they've like acquired a bunch of books and brands and resources and now Rocket Fuel is under their umbrella. But at the time it wasn't. And the book is specifically about the relationship and the roles for the visionary and the integrator. So Kevin's our visionary. He's also the founder, but that's not always the same thing. And then the integrator is the one that takes the visionary's ideas and makes it happen and runs the business. So kind of like a COO, CMO combined kind of thing, if we're going to talk corporate speak. Um, and so reading that book, first of all, it was hilarious because we'd read it and they would like say something about the visionary and all the weird like quirks that they have. And uh, then they say something about the integrator and like all the neuroses that they had. And we would just laugh because it was so freaking accurate, but allowed us to uh, uh, take control of our strengths and give up the things we weren't good at. And then it allows it allowed us to build like this ultimate trust with each other, knowing that we were firmly in the seat you were supposed to be in and we could trust the other person to do the heavy lifting on the stuff that that wasn't our strength. And so it also talks about how to manage a team and like how to form your accountability chart. Um, even if you're like a, a one-man band and just want to want to get really clear about what, what types of roles you do need if you want to grow. So Rocket Fuel was definitely a big one for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I we haven't even touched on this at all, but when it comes to going back to kind of your team in general, um, I know it's pretty predominantly like remote fo focused. Um, what are some ways that you're kind of really helping to kind of like strengthen your company culture. 
Yeah. So um, first of all, it really helps. So these, we call them level 10 meetings because at the end you you rate is on a scale of one to 10, how effective was this, was this meeting? <laughs> and so we call them level 10s because we want it to be a 10. Not always a 10, but usually it is. Uh, but on every single Monday at the exact same time, we have this level 10 meeting for each one of the departments. So those four leadership seats, each one of those people leads a level 10 meeting for their, their team. And that's been a huge thing because first of all, we get on and we give what we call personal and professional best. So it's like, what's something good that happened this week in your personal life? And then what's something awesome that you did in your professional life? And that's cool because it gets everyone a chance to chat in a very structured way that doesn't end up being like half an hour of chat on a meeting because everyone's busy, but also just like reminds everyone that like, hey, these are real people with lives outside of work and uh, we all love each other and love, love working together. And it's a good reminder why. So that's been a huge thing. Um, we also uh, have like dedicated like personal uh, Slack channels, like fun, fun Slack channel, like all for pets and babies <laughs> and playlists and memes and gifts. And so that's always fun. And then we just try and get together once a month, um, either on the campaign plan meeting or uh, we have like the team that runs our community. They get together on a team and just like all get on camera and like hang out and talk business, but look at each other's faces while we're doing it. And that's been a big help for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your team is kind of a mix of contractors and employees and you have like a really interesting perspective around the difference between the two. Can you maybe speak a little bit more to that? Yep. So we're mostly contractors right now, but we do have a core team of really great employees and they're really like the lifeblood of the business Contractors tend to come and go, but um, we do have some core contractors as well. And so as we're shifting from this whole like scrappy startup to real business, legacy business, we want to shift more towards W2 and we're already making that transition in a big way. A lot of the people who have been with us for years who were contractors are happy to become W2. It gives them more stability, more structure, more benefits. Paid time off is awesome. As a contractor, you never are truly off <laughs> because, you're, because you're responsible for the results instead of the time. Um, so that's been an exciting transition is transitioning as many of the contractors who want to be a true part of the team, who want to make Cobb Chief their home to W2 and kind of giving them that badge of like, look, this is your home and we're in it for the long haul with you. So that's been cool. But like I said, I went through this because when I came onto the business, I became a W-2. And we talked about that mental shift that I had to make around that and move, even just changing my tax status. That was a huge part of the head trash for me because being a freelancer, being a contractor, that was my identity. And so I had to be coached through that. Um, But if someone is still going through that and doesn't want to become W-2, we'd like them to be, and we'll continue to the conversation around that. But to us, the most important thing is that we have the right people in the right seats. And if becoming a W-2 employee is a deal breaker for them, I mean, we'd be crazy if we if we rejected uh, an amazing marketer or an amazing operations manager because they're like, oh no, I want to be paid as a contractor. We're like, sweet, do do the job. Here's what you're responsible for. And we'll just treat you just like one of the core team anyway. So I think that's a, a big part of it. And then also um, there's, there's this concept around hiring W-2 employees because 
someone has an employee mindset, right? And so that's very different. Someone who just wants to like show up at work and do a good job and they still have a lot of pride in their performance, but they are just not interested in the hustle and grind of like the feast and famine cycle of being a contractor where you constantly have to find new clients all the time. That's exhausting. And a lot of people don't want to do that, especially now after everyone got freaking burned out to death during the, the pandemic and everything. Um, so that's a huge thing is, is hiring people with, with an employee mindset is not a bad thing. That's a great thing. If you want to build a big legacy business, cause you've got people that are in for the long haul and just want to do great work and don't want to worry about working with multiple clients. So you do have to understand if you're hiring people with an employee mindset, that's different than hiring entrepreneurs, uh, hustlers, contractors, and then convincing them to become employees. <laughs> That's a very different thing. It just internally and philosophically for them, uh, it's very two different people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it sounds like there's almost like a little bit of the struggle with some of the contractors who are operating as their own businesses and convincing them to kind of go back in oftentimes as an employee. What are some of the strategies you kind of use to make that transition happen? Um, and B, like, has it sometimes realized, like, you brought somebody on as a contractor, they became an employee, and it, like, didn't work out for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. So I think for the the people that, that do make the transition, it's really been about time and trust. And so just allowing the time needed for them to be able to trust us that, like, hey, we're not trying to, like, lock you down so we can control you and control your hours. We're trying to build stability in a business so we can all grow together and so that we can all reap the benefits together. Um, So I think just being with the company for a good amount of time, that trust naturally develops. And then it's like, oh, no, I really do want to be here because I think there's a lot of fear for contractors um, where they think they're going to be locked down. They're going to think that they're limiting their options, that uh, we're just going to might just fire them and then they'd be left in the dust and they wouldn't have nurtured other client relationships. And so I think there's a lot of fear there. And so just learning to trust us and say like, hey, we're never going to just like throw you on the street. If, if, if there was ever a situation where this wasn't working out anymore, we would have many, many conversations about that before we decided to, to split ways, right? And so trust is a big part of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I could dive into a lot more topics there, but I want to be respectful of your time. And before we kind of like wrap up, I always like to ask a handful of lightning round questions. Sure, let's do it. Yeah. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Oh my God, this one's so hard. I'm so unprepared for this. Any historical figure. I'd love to talk to Robin Williams. Uh, I just think he has a really interesting perspective on life and like who people are at their core. And if you were to win the lottery tomorrow, what would you spend it on? I would probably start another business. <laughs> I would, um, well, right now I just bought two houses and we're renovating them and turning them into rental properties. And so if the, the, the selfish short-term answer that's not super high level and philosophical is I would hire a massive team of respectable contractors to come and rapidly renovate both of my properties. Love it. Um, and it's been really great chatting with you, Rachel. Where can listeners find you online? Sure. My website is rachelmaza.com. And that's probably the best place to go because you can see um, all the different things that I'm working on, including everything that I'm doing with Kevin at Copy Chief. Awesome. Well, it's been really great having you on the Remote Work Guy podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks, Jessica. 
Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.